Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached December the 4th, 2011 by Rich Bowman, and it is entitled, Joy in the House of the Lord. Good morning to each of you. It is certainly a pleasure to to be here with you this morning. When when I sit in a Sunday school class, I I look a little longingly at that uh, teacher. (laughs) I I prefer that setting over this one. Uh, I enjoy that interaction with uh, the class. And and, uh, I have a few questions here this morning, and I, I would like a response. So think about that. Uh, where do you like to go? Uh, what do you like to do? If, uh, if the phone rings, okay, and, and you pick it up and uh, a voice says, let's, or would you like to, you finish it. What, what are some things that, that really interest you, things to do, places to go? When you answer the phone and somebody... You, you finish it. Let's... Okay, yeah. Greg and Robin, come on over. That sounds good. Someone else. What, what's uh, an exciting invitation? Come on, ladies, let's be honest. Let's go shopping. I mean, of course. You know, we, <laughs> we, <laughs> at least some ladies, I'm sure, would enjoy that. Let's play basketball. I would get a response out of a few young fellows up front here, I'm sure. There's, you know, some people like to go out to eat. Some people like going for a hike. Um, what is it that, that perks up your ears, something you like to do? Let's think of a little different setting. You're in bed, okay? Something we all do. Uh, and you're waking up. Now, that, that's not the same experience for everyone. Some people... Uh, it takes seconds, maybe a minute at most. Others, it's many, many minutes, uh, the process of waking up. But you're, you're, you're waking up, and, and your thoughts are starting, and, and they're kind of getting close to making sense. Uh, you, you know that feeling? And you, they're making enough sense that you know which day of the week it is, okay? Uh, what, what is a pleasant thought that comes about that time when you realize what day of the week it is? It probably depends what day of the week it is <laughs> as to what kind of thoughts are coming. But let's, uh, what, is, what is a pleasant thought? thought at that time of the day. 
okay, tomorrow's Saturday, or today is Saturday. You're waking up, and this is Saturday. Don't need to go to work. It's good, good feeling. Someone else, what's a, what's a real pleasant thought that time in the morning? Okay, you're grateful that it, you slept good. Maybe not all nights go good, but that one did. And so that, that's a pleasant thought that time of the morning. For some people it might be, hey, first day of hunting season. Wow, let's get out of bed here and get on with it. Greg, you're getting ready to say something? Coffee. Coffee, okay. <laughs> it's morning and Coffee. That probably happens most every morning for Greg. A mother might wake up and realize that no lunches to pack today. You know, they have all these lunches for these little ones going off to school, and that's a pleasant thought in the morning. No lunches to pack today. I can go back to sleep just a little longer, and that's, that's a good thought for some people. Always, that was another, another thing I always look at wishfully. Never experienced it, but... It sounds good. When you woke up this morning and your thoughts started collecting themselves and you realized that this was Sunday, what was your first thought at that point in time? Someone want to respond? The weekend, <laughs> okay. School's coming, huh? <laughs> Someone else. What, what was your thought this morning when you woke up enough to realize that, hey, you know, this is a Sunday? I felt good and I realized I could come to church this morning. Okay, Barbara felt good and she's going to be able to go to church this morning. That, that's excellent. Okay, you remember Greg sent an email. <laughs> you need to go read it. It probably would depend some on our responsibilities at church. Some Sunday school teachers, maybe maybe it wasn't real exciting to to wake up and realize I have a I have a responsibility this morning. That that's possible. I'd like to if you'd open your Bibles to Psalm one twenty two. This is probably Probably one of the first Bible verses I ever uh, learned. And probably that's the case for some of you. Psalm 122. It says this. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. How, how many of you can identify with that feeling at least sometime in life if you didn't feel it this morning? That you know what that feels like, okay? I won't ask how many of you felt that this morning, but, but we, we know what that feels like. That's a good feeling. The psalmist had, had that feeling, and, and it was, it was a, a deep enough feeling that, that he wrote it down. 
And we have, uh, as God's people through generations, have, have, uh, have read that, have memorized that as little tots going to, to Sunday school. Glad to be going to, to the house of the Lord. The, the Hebrew word here uh, means to, to brighten up, to, uh, to rejoice. Uh, we all know what it's like to, to share something with, with the children, uh, maybe a surprise. You know, we're going to Grandpa's house tonight or something, and, and everybody just brightens up a little bit. You know, they, they, uh, it's exciting. You know, what, where we're going, what we're doing, it's exciting. That's, that's the feeling here, uh, a brightening up as our thoughts collect in the morning. This is a Sunday. We're going to church. And, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thought of a rejoicing. It's a good feeling. It's something that, that brings a little excitement to life. Now, the, uh, this begs a question. What makes a difference? Why do some people wake up on a Sunday morning and the thought of, of gathering together with God's people is exciting and other people just groan, roll over, back to sleep. Not me. It's not going to happen. Why? What makes a difference? Why do I sometimes find it exciting? And then other times, oh my, that again. You know, probably most of us have been there. Why? What makes a difference? Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. I'd like to, to think about that a bit this morning. This whole thing of being glad to go to the house of the Lord. If we, if we have it, why do we have it? If we don't, why don't we? This is something that uh, this first point here, being aware of our heart's needs, I think is crucial to being glad to go to the house of the Lord. If we don't have any needs in our hearts, if we're not aware of any needs in our hearts, if we are full of self-righteousness, we, we see little need to go to the house of the Lord. There's, there's little gladness in it because we're doing pretty good. We have to be aware of our heart's needs. Uh, this is something I've been observing in, in my boss. Uh, I don't know if any of you have met Jim. Some of you would know him, I'm sure. Uh, Jim's always been a church-going man uh, from a little boy. Uh, but it's nothing that Jim would talk about. He, uh, you know, he just, he just hardly ever came up in conversation. But this past year has been a really rough year for him. Uh, business is not good. It's all but failed. Uh, his marriage is not good. All but failed. Uh, you know, failing, it's, it's not good at all. Uh, he's taking church a lot more serious. Uh, he's started going to Thomas Road and and uh, he, he, 
he comes to work Monday morning with uh, an, an excitement about what he heard at church yesterday, and he'll he'll share a thought from the preacher, and and he'll he'll say, you know, I I enjoyed it so much, I stayed for the second service, you know. That, that, that's not typical of Jim. And I think this is what what happened. When when life started falling apart, he realized, you know, I got some needs. I got some needs in my life. And and church took on a whole different meaning. He he goes to extra effort to be there. Make sure it happens. And and you can tell he's going with a hunger and he's receiving something that, that hadn't been there before. Being aware of our heart's needs. Let's read here in Hebrews 10, starting at verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more, as we see the day approaching. We'll stop there. This thing of being aware of our heart's needs. There's, you know, there's preparation needs to go in to being glad to go to the house of the Lord. We see here uh, a true heart drawing near to God. In verse 22, drawing near to God with a true heart, a sincere heart. That takes some preparation to have a sincere heart. We have to put a little pondering into that. What, what is going on? You know, as you read the Psalms, the psalmist David, a man after God's own heart, he talked to his soul. Do you talk to your soul? Do I talk to my soul? David talked to his soul a lot. He had a lot of communication with his soul. He was concerned about his soul. So a, a sincere heart takes, takes some preparation. The Hebrew writer also mentions here a full assurance of faith. That, that creates a picture of, of no doubting. Doubt has been removed. There's assurance of faith, a confidence that I'm going to God's house and I'm going to meet God there. God has a blessing for me there. There's a confidence there. Towards the end of the verse there in in, uh, verse 22, We have our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. 
there's, there's a cleansing. And, you know, we're talking about preparation here. A drawing near to God. It takes a sincere heart. Removing doubt. Being cleansed. Our heart and our conscience. Bodies being cleansed. As we go on here, there's a profession that goes along with being aware of our heart's needs. Telling others what, what's going on in our hearts. Verse 24. I'm sorry, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Holding fast to, to the profession of our faith without wavering. Without wavering. That's, that's uh, I think it was, was a youth camp. Norman was talking about uh, defending the faith. You know, there's, if we're never defending our faith, I think his point was, are we pillars or are we stumbling blocks? And if we never are defending our faith, we're probably more a stumbling block than a pillar. Defending the faith, proclaiming, professing a faith with, that is unwavering. And then it adds this little phrase, for he is faithful, that promised. A confidence in, in a faithful God. Let's go back a couple chapters. Chapter 13 of Hebrews, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's, that's the faithful one that, that we're counting on his promises. The same yesterday, today, and forever. What, what a contrast from human beings. We don't tend to be quite that faithful, do we? We can't quite trust other human beings to that level. But Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. We're talking about being aware of our heart's needs. I had a contractor. I'm not picking on contractors here, but a contractor told me one time that he sits in church Sunday morning and plans his next week's work. That's that's what he's doing when he's sitting there listening to the preacher. Um, I we have some at least one contractor here. I don't think that's what he's doing, but uh, that was this man's testimony. When I sit in church Sunday morning, I'm planning my next week's work. I don't think he was aware of his own heart's needs. I remember being a little boy uh, sitting in church, and I was uh, looking kind of to the the fellow. There's a man sitting in front of me there, and and uh, right in line with the preacher, and and uh, I noticed every little bit. There's an envelope would come out of his Bible, and he had a pen there, and you know, at first I, you know, he's probably taking notes, but then I noticed he's he's writing numbers. That's interesting, writing numbers, and the envelope would go back in his Bible again, and he'd close his eyes and he'd meditate. And then envelope would come out again. Some more numbers. Draw a line and there was some adding and subtracting. 
I was pondering on this a little bit. Ah, he's a real estate agent. Huh, I wonder. I wonder what those numbers mean. I don't know. But I'm wondering, was, was he aware that he's sitting in God's house? Was he glad to be? He was there. Was he glad to be there? Was he aware that he has needs in his heart? Or was he figuring a real estate deal? I'm afraid he may have been. I remember walking to the church uh, one Wednesday night. wasn't here. This was when I was a boy. And uh, a fellow come down and sat in front of me. And it wasn't quite time for church to start. He just leaned back over the bench and he said, uh, Rich, uh, Richard, I was Richard then. He said, Richard, uh, if I fall asleep, it's because I need it. Don't wake me up. <laughs> this is a man probably, I don't know, he seemed like an old man back then. He was probably 30 maybe, I don't know. But uh, that was, you know, was he aware that he came to the house of God with needs in his heart. He was aware of his bodily needs, but was he aware that he had needs in his heart? I'm afraid not. I came across uh, came across a little story this past week in my, my devotions. Uh, I'd like to read it. Once there was a school in a village... Atop the school was a bell which rung every morning to call the children to class. The boys and girls arrived reluctantly and precisely at the hour, never a minute early. The bell would ring again in the afternoon, liberating the children to their play. The children bolted out the door at the ringing of the bell, never lingering a minute late. This is how it was with each child except one. There was a girl who came early. She helped the teacher prepare the room for the day. The same girl stayed late, cleaning the board and dusting the erasers. During class, she was attentive. She sat close to the teacher, absorbing the lessons. One day, when the other children were unruly and inattentive, The teacher used the girl as an example. Why don't you be like her? She listens. She works. She comes early. She stays late. It isn't fair to ask us to be like her, a boy blurted from the rear of the room. Why? asked the teacher. The boy was uncomfortable wishing he hadn't spoken. She has an advantage, he shrugged. What's that? She is an orphan. He almost whispered as he sat down. The boy was right. The girl had an advantage, an advantage of knowing that school, as tedious as it was, was better than the orphanage. Since she knew that, she appreciated what others took for granted. We, too, are orphans, alone, no name, no future, no hope. Were it not for our adoption as God's children, we would have no place to belong. We sometimes forget that. That that touched me. 
this orphan girl had an advantage. She came to school with an a intense desire that the other children didn't. And if you and I are aware of our heart's needs like we ought to be, we would realize that we all have that same advantage. There's no hope. There's no name. There's no future for you and I apart from being part of the family of God. That should make you and I come with gladness to the house of God. Wake up in the morning and say, it's Sunday. I can go to the house of the Lord with joy in my heart. Number two, having a concern for others, I think, makes a difference if we have gladness in our heart when we come to the house of God. Verse 24, back in Hebrews 10, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as we see the day approaching. A others-oriented attitude as we come to the house of God. If it's all about me, what might I get out of this service this morning? I think what I get out of it is oftentimes a byproduct of coming, wanting to, to share and to, to have input into each other's lives and be an encouragement to others. We all know what it's like to go visit an elderly couple or someone that is sick and come away more blessed than they were or at least that's how we feel. And the, the blessing we receive is a byproduct of us reaching out to someone that had a need. If we go there hoping that we're blessed, it probably won't happen. But being others-oriented in meeting with the body of Christ, to spur them on, as it says here, this consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. That's an interesting word study. The word consider, the word provoke. These are not just casual little words. It's, there's, some, there's some meat there. There's some pondering there. There's some spurring there. Uh, you know how you spur animals to get them moving? <laughs> it's, it's not quite that intense, but it's uh, this provoke is, is a, a really a, a prodding on of others to, to, uh, to love and to good works. Something that, that we, we need to do for each other. We tend to get a little lazy. I do. Worry about my own things. Let them worry about theirs. To meet together, to encourage each other, There in in, uh, verse 25, exhorting one another. And and this should become more and more intense as we realize the day of judgment is closer than it was, closer than it was yesterday, closer than it was last week. 
We're running out of time. So let's be more diligent. the, The idea here is, I came across this in a commentary, and I'm not sure where I found it anymore. It says it this way. Let us diligently and attentively consider each other's trials, difficulties, and weaknesses. Feel for each other and excite each other to an increase of love to God and man. And as the proof of it, to be fruitful in good works. As we spur others, it challenges us to be faithful ourselves. So it's important to to have a concern for others. Let us do it more and more as we see judgment coming near. We're talking this morning about what makes the difference. Some people glad, sometimes I am glad to come to the house of the Lord. Other times, not so. What makes the difference? Concern for others can make a big difference. A common goal. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. I was uh, going to read this, but I I think I'll just tell it. It's a familiar passage. Uh, Peter, uh, John John was uh, beheaded, okay? John the Baptist was beheaded. Uh, Peter, Herod locked up Peter, and, and it looked like the same thing was going to happen to him. He's sitting there in prison. In the middle of the night, the angel comes and taps on his shoulder and, and uh, said, you know, bind up your sandals. We're, we're going to go out of here. And uh, Peter wasn't sure if, he was, if this was reality or if this was a dream until he was out and the angel left. And as he kind of came to his senses, he uh, decided, uh, I'm going to go to Mary's house. That's interesting. Somehow, in the middle of the night, he thought going to Mary's house was the thing to do. That tells us a little something about what was normal in that group of believers at Mary's house. A a gathering place, obviously. Um, You know, he he was one of the leaders, and he was in prison, and something compelled him to go to Mary's house. Well, he went there, and, and here there was a prayer meeting going on. And they, there was the, the goal, the, the thing they had in common was Peter's in prison, and we need to pray for him. He's about to lose his head. And they had this common goal in prayer. And sure enough, Peter shows up at the gate. There's something about a body of believers having common goals that brings gladness to us when we come to the house of God. In Acts 16, we have the story of of, uh, Paul and Silas going to Philippi. And they met down by the river with a group of ladies to pray. This group of ladies had gathered there to pray. And 
and Paul and Silas met there with them. They had a common goal. They met there to pray. I don't know if that's where that song comes from, that spiritual uh, down by the river to pray. (laughs) That might be, I don't know. As I was thinking of this thing of a common goal, my mind went back to an old man in Pennsylvania, the eastern part of Pennsylvania, not, not the community I grew up in, old John Schmidt, no longer living. But I was sitting in his house one day, and he was telling me how his boys would be more my age, uh, how when his boys were young, uh, probably preteen or early teen, teenage boys, they came to their dad one day and they said, Dad, we'd like to go to that church over there. Uh, they, had, they went to a church closer home, but, but the church didn't quite have the values that, that they were trying to uphold as a family. They had some cousins at the church over there, and uh, they said, Daddy, we'd like to go to that church. Well, Dad, uh, old but John Schmidt was a pretty conservative kind of fellow. You know, it takes more gas to go over there. It takes tires to wear out quicker to go over there. And we're dairy farmers, and, you know, getting up in the morning and, Getting around a half an hour earlier to get over there is, is going to be a big deal. So he told the boys, he said, tell you what, if you're willing to get up Sunday mornings earlier, get the chores done in time that we can get over there, in time for church, we'll go over there. And those boys got up early in the morning. They got the chores done so they could go to that church where there was friends that had the same values they had, a common goal. Here was a family that worked together with a common goal of going to meet with a body of believers where there was a common goal. There's something about gladness in our hearts to meet with others that have a common goal. There's a desire to know truth in... uh, the history of the children of Israel, Nathan referred to this this morning, this, this uh, you know, falling into sin and repenting and, and coming back to God time and time again. Remember, Nehemiah and Ezra were in Babylon, part of the captivity, and they went back, back to Jerusalem, and they were repairing the walls and, and so forth and, and cleaning out the temple. And remember how... When they cleaned out the temple, they found the scrolls, the law of Moses, the law that God had given to Moses on the mountain. And in uh, Nehemiah 8, it talks about these people uh, gathering together. This was Occupy Water Street. It was happening back then already, but there's a difference. This Occupy Water Street was a different kind of gathering. Listen as I read. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man. Huh. Common goal, united together. Into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra and the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. These people had a desire to know the truth. This large group of people gathered as one man. That says something. Gathered as one man. They had a common goal. They gathered together. And the whole purpose was they wanted to know the truth. 
God's law had been found. They hadn't read it for years. They wanted to know the truth. And they, they said, Ezra, read. Read God's law to us. And they were there for, I think, the best part of the day. Listening to God's law. And if you read on, they took drastic measures. They had taken foreign wives. They had to put their wives away. There was a parting of families. A gut-wrenching experience for many of these people. But it was a response to God's law. A desire to know the truth. These people had a real desire to know. Acts chapter 20. Let's just turn there quickly. Again, a familiar story. Uh, Paul here is is preaching. And uh, he goes overtime. And that could happen here this morning. I'll warn you. But I'll give you a little break between... This morning's service and this afternoon's service to go home and get a little something to eat. I promise you that. Uh, Paul was here preaching. Preached till midnight. And uh, it got long for this one young lad. And he fell asleep and fell out the window. Three stories. And uh, they, they took him for dead. I don't know if, yeah, if he was dead dead or it appears like he may have been dead dead. Paul goes down. And Paul raised him back to life. What does Paul do? He goes back up. And it says, verse 11, till the break of day before he departed. He was up there talking. And it appeared like they had maybe some kind of a communion service up there. It's no longer midnight. Now it's the break of day. I promise you I won't keep you that long but it will get a little late I'd like to finish you know our forefathers what motivated them to go out into the woods the caves the barns in the middle of the night to worship God what 600 almost 600 years ago why did they do that knowing well that if they got caught They could lose their head. They could be burned at the stake. They could be in prison. But they did it time and time again. There was a gladness there to meet with the body of Christ, the body of believers. A gladness to go to the house of God. It was a desire to know truth. They realized the the religious system that they were in was not following the New Testament scriptures. And they were gathering together whenever there was someone there to teach them. They wanted to know the truth. There was a desire, a hungering to know truth. And they went to great lengths to risk their lives in order to to know truth. There was uh, the other week. It was the national or the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, and and Dan Freed had sent an email around. I'd just like to read a, a short portion of that. This Sunday, millions of Christians will do something that puts their life at risk. This is today. This is not 600 years ago. This is happening today. They will go to church. These believers don't take worship lightly. 
They understand how easy it would be for them to become one of the 40,000 Christians who are brutally murdered for their faith each year. 40,000. That's today. That's this year. 40,000 people, Christians, lose their lives this year because they go to church. I often talk to people who have been beaten and tortured for their faith. They don't want sympathy or praise or even a way out of the difficult situation. They all have the same request. Please pray for me. That, that was touching to me. When people are willing to risk their life to do something, they are doing it with an intense longing and a desire. Something is motivating those individuals. Something that I need. Something that all of us need. That kind of motivation to put our life on the line in order to meet with God's people. What makes you glad to go to the house of God? Is there evidence in my life that I would be willing to risk my life to be here this morning? Is there any evidence of that? What makes us glad is an indication of what is important to us. Remember the phone call. Remember waking up in the morning. What makes you glad is an indication of what is important to you. If it's shopping, hunting, basketball, you know, those things obviously are important. When you wake up Sunday morning and realize, huh, this is Sunday. If there's no gladness there, obviously, gathering here is not important. Not important. Parents, our attitude towards church services has far-reaching effects on our children. I complimented a mother uh, Wednesday night that gathers her children together and comes to church uh, by herself at times. That, that has far-reaching effects for her and for her children. How we feel about the people at church, our opinion of the preachers, has far-reaching effects on, on our children. You know, we might think our children don't know how we feel about the church. They don't know what we think of the people there or what we think of those preachers. <laughs> That's a sad mistake if we as parents fall into that trap. Yeah, we, it's good to be careful what we say in front of our children, but if we think that they don't catch on to our attitudes, even though they don't hear our words, we're deceiving ourselves. Children are way more, even with parents that aren't but so intelligent, <laughs> children are very intelligent and catch on very quickly. It is important the attitudes that we allow to linger in our hearts and thoughts. Parents, when when we fail to make it to church, is there anything there that convinces our children, mama and daddy, 
would die. They'd be willing to die to meet with God's people. Something to ponder. There's 40,000 people are dying this year for that. Our forefathers were willing to die for that. How could we be ho-hum about meeting with, with God's people? If we find ourselves not being glad about coming to the house of God, we need to be more aware of our heart's needs. We need a deeper concern for others. We need a common goal with the body of Christ. We need a desire, a desire burning in our hearts to know truth. And when we can accomplish those things, when we wake up on a Sunday morning and our thoughts begin to gel and we realize this is Sunday, there will be a gladness. There will be a gladness in our hearts that we can meet with God's people this morning. You've been listening to Joy in the House of the Lord, a message by Rich Bowman. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. And with that, it's time to say so long, and thanks for listening.